A heads up to our listeners, today's episode includes drug use. You may want to listen in the company of adults to avoid children asking you the question of whether or not you've had a psychedelic experience. Imagine your mind as if it were a lake and that all your memories are on different parts of the bottom of the lake. And you're in a glass-bottom boat. And wherever you go, when you look down, you will recover some memories. And it's a lovely notion because, for instance, if I say to you your sixth birthday party, that is not in your consciousness as we're talking. But if we take a few moments, you could probably recover some memories of your sixth birthday party. I don't know about you, but the lake of my mind is murky at best. So for this expedition, I enlist a reluctant first mate, my mom. Your sixth birthday. That's a strange one to ask me about. Now we're in the realm of psychology, trying to make unconscious memories conscious. And we're Irish Catholic so we're very uncomfortable about it. But I'm hoping her lake is less murky than mine and her glass-bottom boat less foggy. No memories at all? Not really. I'm actually embarrassed by the desperation in my voice. No memories at all? It makes absolutely no sense. I know the stakes are extremely low. I won't live or die if my mother doesn't remember my sixth birthday. And if I hadn't asked her, I wouldn't even care. But since she remembered nothing, I'm now unnerved. Suddenly I care deeply about our arbitrary expedition. So I put my poor mother to work. Keep rowing, I shout. Keep rowing. Until we finally get a bite. No, it was started with a J. It takes only one detail. Jackson, Johnson, uh, Jan's. That was it, Jan's ice cream parlor. And just like that, She remembers where we had my sixth birthday, and then how she'd come home from the hospital only weeks before with my sister. We were coming home with a new baby, and you became enamored with your little sister. And then I discover where my fear of missing out started. That you didn't even want to go out because you didn't want to miss anything that happened while you were out. Who knew what she was going to do when she was like a week old? And I was getting a little worried because that was not a normal six-year-old. You want to be out and play with your friends, but you're like, oh, no, Mom, I don't want to go out. And then finally, you took out your tape recorder and you slipped it under her crib so that when you were out, you wouldn't miss anything. I remember. And I remember. I remember. I just can remember. I remember. Those stories were the essence of what it was to be alive. That's the image that I held in my head. Can you trust that? I'm Terrence Mickey, and welcome to Memory Motel. Is that light always on? Would I actually play those tapes? Yes, which there really wasn't much on it, but yes. As I got older, my fear of missing out only got worse. At six, I couldn't leave my sister's crib for fear of missing what she might do, But at 16, I had an even bigger fear of missing out. I thought I'd missed the decade I should have been born in, the 1960s. Growing up, I had the books and records handed down to me by my uncles. The electric Kool-Aid acid test, 
The Doors of Perception, Pet Sounds, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. But I grew up in the 80s. My contemporaries listened to Madonna and New Kids on the Block. And they didn't need books or even psychedelic experiences. They had the Paramus Park Mall. I was born into a material world and the idealism of the 60s clashed with the cynicism of the 80s. In 1989, a film came out that highlighted the absurd differences between the two eras. It was called Rude Awakening. I know a lot has changed since the 60s, but I still believe that in each one of us, in every individual, there is this light. In this film, Cheech Marin, from Cheech and Chong fame, and Eric Roberts from the Pope of Greenwich Village fame, play hippies who leave New York in the 1960s to escape the FBI. When they come back in the 80s, they're confused by yuppies, apathy, and their own irrelevance. Pretty soon, this planet, our hope, our Mother Earth, will not be able to support life. In this scene, Eric Roberts tries to rally a group of students with the ideals of the 60s. This is our responsibility to serve with love this great spirit we share with each other and with this earth, our home. Wilson Hall will be closed today. His message falls on deaf ears because going back to the ideals of the 60s was not hip in the 80s. Nobody had the time or the interest. Where are you going? Where is everybody going? You've got a chance to help here. The 60s were an intensely optimistic period that people felt by changing your mind, you would change the world, in a, and it was all in a rather positive way. That's James Fadiman. He's a transpersonal psychologist. What, what the hell is that? <laughs> okay, transpersonal psychology uh, is a psychology that includes, among other experiences, um, what is called spiritual experience or spiritual understanding. Besides the spiritual, James Fadiman's territory as a transpersonal psychologist includes psychedelic experiences. His book, The Psychedelic Explorer's Guide, shares his years of research on the immediate and long-term effects of the drug for spirituality, therapy, and creative problem-solving. At 16, I desperately wanted a psychedelic experience, which, thanks to my reading, would be, in my mind, nothing short of mystical. Now, am I hearing that you personally do not have psychedelic experience, or you do? I can lie to a priest, but I cannot lie to a transpersonal psychologist. The answer to his question is, unfortunately, no. I think, honestly, it was the fear of having mental illness in my family and really all sure. of the kind of, you know, tales you're told about this will fry your brain. Oh, yeah. This will, right. This will blow your mind and you think, I don't actually have that tight a control <laughs> on my mind as it is. That, that is exactly right. <laughs> a warning to our listeners and my mother. We've moved from the realm of psychology to psychedelics. The obvious connection between psychedelics and memory is a flashback. A flashback, which happens a lot less than the media would like, is when you are recollecting the part of a psychedelic experience as if you were still on the psychedelic. So you're re revisiting, and it's usually um, not very comfortable, and it, it can be a very disturbing part. And that usually happens when a person takes a psychedelic in a, in a less than ideal setting. 
It's like an incomplete part of your experience. And in your mind, in a sense, wishes to complete it so it comes back again for another try. A flashback can be an ill-timed and unwanted going back. When someone has a flashback, they say, you know, suddenly I'm back in this psychedelic space and since, um, you know, I'm on the subway and I'm trying to find out if I get off at 34th Street or 23rd Street, it's the wrong moment to be back in a moment of psychedelic experience uh, in which I'm finding myself in a mountain range filled with Amazons. But there are other types of going back associated with psychedelics. And today's episode follows one person's memory of going back to the same time I missed, the 60s. So what does it mean to go back during a psychedelic experience? James Fadiman has a few examples. One is the experience of being one among millions going down a passage desperately trying to get somewhere and you actually then make it and you're the sperm that becomes the you. That's going back to a very, very early personal memory. Here's another example. People often have the feeling of they've recapitulated evolution. So they feel themselves being one-celled animals and being fish and being um, plants and so forth. Yes, there's an even further back. Um, Another further back is people who uh, experience what they report to be the creation of either the galaxy or the whole universe. You can write off these journeys as pure fiction. But from Fadiman's point of view, you'd miss their significance. People remember these moments and hold on to them because they possess an insight that they don't want to forget. So the question again is not what is so, are these accurate memories, but they are important memories in that they, they matter to people and they change their, uh, the way they approach the rest of their lives. In a couple of years, it's going to be 30 years ago. But I remember it like it happened yesterday. That's Jim McDermott. And this is his memory. Um, I remember it so vividly. It's almost like the drug like etched the day onto my, you know, in my brain somewhere and said, this is, this is going to stay etched in your brain. You will remember everything that happened. Jim grew up on the North Shore of Long Island in the early 80s. You got a specific perspective living on the North Shore of Long Island. Everything seemed kind of like really predictable, like you kind of had it figured out. There were less than 10 African-American kids in our school. There were certainly no openly gay people. I was never a drug person really growing up. I I had um, friends who would go to Black Sabbath shows and they'd talk about how they did mescaline. And I consciously made, I didn't want to mess my brain up. I really appreciated clarity. The perspective Long Island provided Jim in the 80s started to feel narrow when he delved deeper into the music of the 60s. I missed all the 60s stuff, but I heard about it, that there was this time of revolution, political upheaval, civil rights, um, music changing, sexual freedom, women's liberation, all these things that came out of the 60s. The intent behind it was amazing and was great. And for somebody who had kind of been a toddler when that all came around, there was a chance to get some perspective on it and maybe participate in it a bit. And Acid was a 60s kind of a a thing. Acid for him could potentially show him what he missed. He thought it might take him back to the 60s or further, and in a way he could never have imagined, 
it sort of did. I thought acid was kind of like, well, let's not go through all the other substages. I'm like, I want to do something that's mind expanding. What's acid going to be like? You know, uh, I guess it's going to be like Yellow Submarine. I guess every flower is going to burst out of everywhere, and I'm everything's going to be plasticine porters and marmalade skies. I was 24 and 89. I was living in Oyster Bay. Um, but I had a friend who had gotten some at a dead concert and had tried from that batch and said, you know, I had an amazing experience. You know, we should do this. We knew it would take like an hour to, to, to come on. So we went to the park, took it in, in, the, in the morning and just started walking. We walked down a trail that we knew was going to take us into the, into the woods. So we started walking down this concrete road that eventually turned into a brick road that eventually turned into a, a, a dirt road. When I started noticing it come on, I, I just basically started noticing the intensity of, of the degrees of color in the rocks and in the soil and in the grass. Then the, just the din of nature and animals and the air and the breeze going through the trees and everything. The individual sounds were so distinct and so loud. It was like God was on a mixing board riding up the faders. You heard this little noise and then there was a, just a rabbit sitting next to the road just eating. And I'm like, how did I hear a rabbit eating? Our conversation kind of slowed down because we were just listening. We walked across this field that had all these kind of daisies. The sun was shining down and it was this beautiful moment of like this golden sunshine lighting up these flowers. And then the weather started to change. It got overcast and then it, it started to drizzle. So we walked down the hill. We got down to the beach and the whole beach looked uh, like a rib cage. There were skeleton heads in the clouds and they were like blowing around boats. You know, you're just watching this amazing show. So we lie down on the sand and breathe for a minute because it's washing over you. It's almost like it's too much. And then my friend said, I see San Jacinto over there. San Jacinto is a Peter Gabriel song. Peter Gabriel wrote it about an American Indian who was lamenting the disappearance of his culture. When he said, I see San Jacinto, I knew what he was referencing, but I, I thought he was just talking about he was tripping and he saw something weird. We had imagined that it was this kind of just village that you could only see if you were a member of the tribe or something like that. And he said, no, 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 I really, really see this. He pointed over to a bluff that was overlooking the sound, and I saw what looked like some structures on this bluff. So we walked over, and the first thing I saw was a, was a grass hut, and then looked up, and there was a palm tree. And palm trees don't grow on the North Shore of Long Island. You know, like, they just don't. They're not indigenous to, to the North Shore of Long Island. We then walked into a village of corrugated metal shacks, um, teepees, tents, there was a psychedelic painted school bus like Ken Kesey's Further, you know, spray painted with any war logos. Um, the peace symbol said end the war, stop the war, just parked at the end. And then there was a garden in front of it. And then all of a sudden, pot plants with big, thick, robust buds on them that were 10 feet tall. 
Now, we had seen a lot of things during the day and, you know, things breathing, they were visual, they were oral, but it was mild. It wasn't like something manifesting itself. So this was an impossibility. We're looking at all this and my friend's about 10 feet away from me and there's a rock in front of him that's spray painted all day glow and everything. So my friend just bends over and he picks up this boulder that, you know, it was, it probably weighed 600 pounds. I was utterly, utterly confused. What, what's happening? In any acid trip, there's a peak moment where the intensity of everything is just at an absolute crescendo. It was right at that moment where everything was just like, oh. And just as he picked it up, I heard a voice say, don't, don't touch it. They've got it just the way they want it. And it's a security guard. I just looked at him and I said, what is this? And he laughed and said, oh, it's a, it's a movie set. It's about a 60s hippie commune that the feds raid. The film set Jim and his friend had stumbled upon was for rude awakening. Can I get hit off of that man? Yeah, sure, man. Wow. Are you hallucinating? What makes you think that, man? <laughs> and then it was hilarious, thank God. You know, it was hilarious because we realized you looked a little closer, everything was fake. It was all fake. Jim's curiosity about the 60s led him to a mirage of the past. And the coincidence of where he ended up the first time he tried acid ultimately forced him to appreciate the present, what was right in front of him. You can look at something like that and say, like, well, whatever. It just, things just happen. If you want to be cynical about it and just go, like, okay, yeah, whatever, okay. Some dude, yeah, you dropped acid and you stumbled onto a movie set, like, whatever, big deal. But we had kind of gotten here and taken the acid because of our own personal little nostalgia for the 60s. And where do we end up on the very first time I do acid? In a movie set about hippies. In the infinite possibilities of where I could have been, where it could have been, when I could have had this experience, where I could have had it. And then you look at everything and you go, oh my God, this is fake. All of this is fake. Why am I here? Why was I put here at this moment in time? Am I lucky? Am I cursed? I feel so incredibly fortunate that I'm here, but you, it was just, just this big moment of why. It was the first time as a kid who grew up in Long Island that I was truly present in the moment because I was forced to be. It was like someone grabbed me by the chin and said, you know, you're going to look at this, open your ears and said, you're going to hear all this stuff. And it was just blasting into your body. And you're going, just, you're looking at a tree and you're just going like, Jesus, just look at this thing. Just look at how weird it is. It's this growing, living thing that came out of the earth that is totally unique from every other tree. And it's just kind of moving in the wind and there's birds on it. And I'm on this dirt road and I'm on this planet and I'm in this universe. And it's just endless. It's endless mindfulness. That is of benefit to everybody in life, to get your perspective just ripped out from under you and be disoriented and go, wait a minute, now why do I believe all these things and is it right? And let me look around a little bit. But that, that was a good thing to just be so present. I want to kind of get back to thinking about all this stuff because I'm not on the drug now and so I've gotten back to forgetting about all these things. So how do I get into a state where I'm more 
attuned to all these things that are happening that I'm not looking at without taking some massively heavy drug. You get a little older and you go like, it'd be great to have that appreciation, but not have it be overwhelming, not have it be dangerous, not have it be under doing something illegal. You know, it'd be great to get into that state of mind without doing that. But I didn't even know that that state of mind was there until I took the drug. So the um, people like Castaneda and Tim Leary and Ken Kesey were all saying it is possible to make major changes in your worldview, which means you will make the world a better place because you will want to. We only know what we know at the time, which is why going back is so helpful. And whether through psychology or psychedelics or both or neither, we need as many different perspectives as possible to truly understand our circumstances. Well, to be aware that you are in a matrix that includes not only other people, but other objects, um, and that you are more connected to things than we in the West tend to assume. LSD was banned for recreational use in 1966 and for medical use in 1973. But in recent years, scientists have begun to revisit the drug as a therapeutic tool for anxiety, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder, among other illnesses. And in 2016, a study led by David Nutt, a professor of neuropharmacology at Imperial College London, revealed the first modern scans of the brain on LSD, which has led to new theories of visual hallucinations and the sense of oneness some people say they experience on the drug. We're going back with our research on LSD, and I can't wait to learn what we find with our new perspective. If today's topic interested you, we'll be releasing bonus material before our next episode. In the bonus material, we'll explore the medicinal use of psychedelics. Today's episode was produced by me, Terrence McKee, your host, and Bart Washaw, our music and sound editor, who also wrote the theme music, with research and production assistance from Carrie Ann Thomas. A big thank you to James Fadiman and Jim McDermott, and a special thank you to Jerome DeRoy, Murray Nossel, and Jeffrey Yamaguchi for their support. You can follow us on Twitter at Memory Motel and read the show notes at memorymotel.audio. If you like what you've heard so far and want more, please subscribe on iTunes and write a review. In our next episode, we'll look at Iceland's unique way of remembering the dead. Until then, I can't wait to see what you find when you go back.